Thanks for joining us on the Father's House Podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online simply by going to thefathershouse.com. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week. Now let's go to this week's message. Lord, we come before you humbly this morning. And we ask in the name of Jesus Christ that your Holy Spirit will fill this room and our hearts and our minds. That we would stand before you as a humble and contrite people, fully and completely prepared to trust you and you alone. And we ask that you would just touch each and one that's cleared the threshold of this church, because when they leave, Lord, when they leave, they will actually be entering the mission field of their life. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. In Deuteronomy, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or terrified because of them, for the Lord your God goes with you. He will never leave you, nor forsake you. And Jesus, in the last words that he spoke to his disciples in Matthew 28, he said, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many know that God is in the room? How many know that he goes home with you as well? 21 years ago, and 10 minutes, our world was deeply scarred and forever changed. I'm sorry, that video always gets to me. But what have we become? And as a people who stand before God and we pray and ask him to to intercede for us. Who are we? And where do we put our trust? How many can remember where you were on 9-11? Okay, how many remember what you were doing on 9-11? How many will never forget 9-11? I remember years ago, and, and, and it was not that long ago, actually, I was sitting on an ice cream freezer in a small mom-and-pop grocery store drinking a quart of milk and having a cupcake because I was a sophomore in high school. As you can see, it wasn't that long ago. And I remember seeing the clerk starting to cry, and I couldn't figure out what the problem was, and President John F. Kennedy was assassinated. There are moments that become altars of remembrance in our heart like that, where we remember exactly what we were doing. On 9-11, my wife and I had woken up and we were preparing to go to work and I was preparing to go to the church and, and uh, we got a phone call about 6 o'clock in the morning, this was in California, to turn on the television and look what happened. And I turned it on and I was watching the horrible accident of a plane flying into the, the tower. And I went into the kitchen and got a cup of coffee and came back out And just as I sat down, a live feed showed a second plane hitting the other tower. You remember how you felt that moment? Suddenly, it wasn't an accident. Suddenly, this was an intentional act. We had just been attacked. 
I, I, my, my mind just went in every conceivable direction. We went to the church, and I gathered my staff together, and I, I said, let's just open the doors. We didn't have a service. It was a Tuesday morning. I mean, come on. Stop by here on a Tuesday morning or any other church, and you'll find not a lot going on. Well, we opened the doors, and we did that. Simply, if anybody wanted to come in and just spend some quiet time in the sanctuary, they could come in and do so. And I assigned one staff member, for, and we rotated all day long so there'd be somebody there. Along about noon, I was in my office, and one of the staff came in and said, Pastor, you're going to want to come in and see this. And I walked in, we had a side door that entered into the sanctuary, and when I opened up the door, it was almost full. There were people meeting in little clusters, and there were others just sitting quietly and praying, and it was just a, I, I, was, I was blown away. I mean, I expected one or two, but I wasn't expecting that many people to show up, but they did. There were people that I hadn't seen in years. <laughs> they attended church pretty regularly a long time ago. Strangers that I never, had never seen. And we did that for almost a week. And they just kept coming. And then they stopped coming. Hmm. It happens. What did they come for? Why did they walk in that church? Why did they walk into any church? In fact, these things happened everywhere. I understand that also took place here. Well, they walked in to find God because they couldn't find God wherever they were. They wanted to find God in a place they knew where God lived. You with me? They came in and sat down in the place where they know that they could, they could open their Bibles freely, they could pray openly without, without anybody wondering what you're doing. They came in to find God because God was hard to find in the ashes and the smoke of the world that has fallen down around us. They, they couldn't. So they came into God's house, which is a right place to do it. But I want you to know, your world is continually falling down around you. And the church doors may not necessarily be open. When you get that call in the middle of the night, a call you never, never expected, never wanted, never thought you would ever receive, and it's a call about some horrible accident or some illness or some issue that, that took place with a family member, a parent, or maybe a spouse, or a brother or sister, or maybe even a child. First thing you do is you start looking around, where's God? Maybe it's that follow-up appointment that the doctor asked for, and he's not smiling when you walk into, the, into his office. The first thing you start thinking is, where's God? Now, you may say, I know where God is because I just open up and start talking to him. Well, you know, sometimes in the haze of our pain, it's kind of hard to see where he's at. That, prayer, that song, and I can't understand all that you allow. I just can't see the reason. But my life is in your hands. And though I cannot see you, I will choose to trust you. How many know that there are times where you have to stop and say, I trust you, Lord? Because the pain is too deep. We have a tendency to feel that faith is something that bubbles up within us. You know, it happens automatically when things go bad and, and, and fills us with peace and confidence and assurance. It just kind of bubbles up. And I want you to know, that's not the case. Faith does not bubble up in the midst of hard times. 
It just, you, you want it to. You're crying out. But it's, it's not automatic. <laughs> it's not. Here's what, here's what I'm going to share with you. I personally believe that if you want to find faith in the midst of the devastation of whatever might be taking place in your life, a lasting faith only rests upon one thing, and that is a foundation of trust. Faith is built upon trust. Now, if you're not sure, how many here came here in a car? Okay, the rest of you walked. Interesting. I'm usually out front. I don't see you walking in, but okay. Some of you didn't raise your hand. I've actually had to get out of the way because you were driving, so I know how you got here. <laughs> how many of you have flown an airplane? Let me put it that way. You know, I have faith that airplanes can fly, and I have faith, because I believe it, that cars will get you where you got to go. I have faith in that because I believe in that. But the problem we have is sometimes our faith is built upon our belief, but not upon our trust. Oh, that's good. That's we believe, so we have faith. I believe, and if I ask you, how about, where do you stand? I think pretty much I would probably have 100% or at least a 99.9% .9 chance that you would say, well, I have faith in, in the Lord, right? Well, then I ask you a question. Let me ask you that. How many have faith in the Lord? All right. How many trust him? Because hmm. you're not going to know that until it's put to the test. Boy, that's the you can have faith, but when it's put to the test, trust is the only thing in which that faith has to be built upon. Because, you see, I, I, I believe that the plane can fly. I have faith that planes do fly. I intend to do one here pretty soon, and I really believe that they fly. I have faith in that because I believe in that, because I've seen them. They fly over the house all the time. I don't know if they're coming to get me or what's going on, but they're always flying around. But I have noticed that if I don't trust the person that was built that plane or worked on that plane or is flying that plane to know where he's going and how to get there, if I don't trust it, my faith doesn't mean much because I ain't getting on that plane. If you have two cars in your driveway, and maybe you do, and one of them is, well, kind of a piece of junk, but you love it and you're trying to put it together, and the other one, pardon me, it must have been the Holy Spirit wanting me to look at something here, and the other one, you're not so certain it will fly or drive. And then you go out a new one. Remember the new car you got? Anybody ever owned a new car? Yeah, that's where you noticed every scratch and every dent. You had to take your shoes off when you got in, all that kind of stuff, right? Wouldn't even let children in under the age of 12, you know. When they, when you walk out to get in that car to take your family to church, which car are you going to get in? The one you're not sure it's going to make it or the one that you know will? See, you're going to put your faith in making it to church in the one that has proven itself because you have trusted that it is capable of getting you where you got to go. We have to know that same thing with our Lord. Amen. Simply believing that he's there is nice, but knowing what he'll do and trusting the fact that you can be in his hand, that is the one thing that you have to have. Yeah. <sighs> remember, remember what happened after that? Roberta and I went to 9-11 
memorial. We were in New York a couple of weeks back, a few weeks back, and we went to the to the uh, 9/11 memorial. Anybody? I, I know one couple here. Yeah, number of you. Uh, you can see I was there. We walked through, and you see things like huge fire trucks crushed, just destroyed. You see all these remnants of the towers still there being on, put on display. I mean, beams, huge, massive beams, bigger than a rows of these chairs just twisted like a straw. It's just amazing to see what took place. And then you, 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 you read the stories, and you, you see the, the testimonies of those who survived. There were two things that really moved me. One was a little room where you sat down and you listened to messages left to loved ones by those who were trapped, saying, I love you, I'm not coming home. And another room was about maybe, maybe a half size of this, this room, and from the floor to the ceiling were large photographs of the people that died in 9-11. And, and as you walk through, I, what struck me was, I'm so used to seeing things of, uh, this took place, and, and, and they're, they're dressed in clothing that I haven't ever seen worn anymore, or maybe they're, you know, they're just, they're, they're pictures that are out of date. I can't relate to the picture, but I can understand what happened. I could relate to these pictures. They were just like you and me. And these pictures were taken just before 9-11, so they were all smiling and happy, and they had no concept or idea of what was coming. I gotta, I gotta tell you, I've watched it, I've heard it, I've listened to it, I, I've, I've watched the, the, the various videos, I've seen the pictures, I've talked about it, but it never really struck me to become mine until I walked into that place. Suddenly, it was real. It was not something that happened over there. It was happening now inside of me. As we walked out, I saw something else that I found pretty interesting. There were pictures of what had transpired over the days that followed. And one thing struck out, really jumped out, and it said, this is what followed after 9-11. There was a rising up of a voice, a shout, that literally shouted out our first name to the entire world and to our enemies, that we are the United States of America. I think sometimes we're not so united anymore, are we? According to some of the statistics I've read and some of the research, and I was trying to find one that you might know, but I didn't know the names of these, but their research says that we are more divided in this nation for more things and over more things and more deeply than we have since the Civil War. And you know when that started? Right after 9-11. Oh, we've always had differences and we've always had issues but we've never been this deeply divided since then. Why? What happened? I think when we pendulum swung, we turned back and went another direction. I don't know what happened, but I do know this. Unity is not an option for you and me. The hands that I saw raised that I ask, is, is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Those hands, I talk to you now. You don't have an option to be anything but unified to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You do not have an option because God himself commanded it. John chapter 13, 
verses 34. A new command I give you. And take note of this. It's not a command. It's not something. Listen, this is new, and it's a great suggestion, and I think it would work for the company. No. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. For by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is there anybody that you know of? Anyone who does not know that you are a disciple of Christ? I bet you everyone's got somebody. Well, let them know that you are by the way you love one another. Well, I, they'll know by the fish that I have in the back of my car. You don't need something the size of a marlin on the back of your car to let the world know that you're, you're saved, right? Oh, they'll know because I've got a dolly to have to lift up my Bible. It's a biggie, you know, and I take it to church. Do not put anything between you and your relationship with other brothers and sisters if you want the world to see what Christ is all about. And yet, for some reason, within the body of Christ, we do have a way of dividing ourselves very quickly. I don't know why that is. You come to church, you laugh, you smile at each other, and then you get in the car and go, did you see what she was wearing? 1 Corinthians 1, verse 10 says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say and that there, is, there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Whoa, wait a minute. Now you kind of went overboard there. Yeah. Okay. Not my words. Bible. Yeah. All right? Be unified. Does that mean that you have to like everybody? You know, you don't find the word like anywhere in the Bible. <laughs> there is no command to like anyone. But there is a command that you love everyone. That's the difference. And specifically... Those who walk with Christ. Those who profess Jesus. Now you can say, well, you know, I know they, I know they, they love God and, and I know they profess Jesus, but I got to tell you, they don't live right. No, they don't live your right. Leave it alone whoa, if you love them. Whoa, whoa, wow. We good? Yeah. Do I hear an uh-huh? That's all I'm asking. You remember when the 112th Congress got together? <clears throat> the 112th Congress a few days, or actually I think it was either the same day or the following day, they gathered together on the steps of the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. Every single congressman, every single senator, every single assemblyman, every single representative, they were there. And they did something shocking. And I say that in today's vernacular and what we see. They actually held hands with each other. And they prayed a singular prayer together to God. And they even sang a song. Can you believe that? It was amazing. And then just a few days after that, they gathered together along with world leaders in the cathedral, the uh, National Cathedral, and together they sat and they watched um, a, a tent revivalist, a simple little cowboy type of country, man, country uh, evangelist stand in front of them and preach Jesus Christ and the power of God and the peace that he affords to the entire world. And they sat there together and there was, there was no name calling, there was no picketing, there was no signs, there was no finger pointing. You know what there was? Americans. That's all that was there. 
We were united. We actually became, for the first time, for the first time in, a, in probably 200 years, we actually came that close to becoming one nation under God, a United States of America. And then the pendulum swung back. Then something happened. Then there was no color, no culture, no political view that divided us. But when that pendulum swung, the threat had passed, the fear was gone, and we got back into our routine and got comfortable. And from that moment, now these are not things that didn't happen before, but they didn't happen with the same aggressiveness, nor did they happen with such little resistance. We started taking God's word and starting to redefine it even more. In fact, to the point where it will take something and stretch it and mend it like one of those big beams and we'll twist it into something that will fit the passions of our life instead of what it tells us to live. And once we do that, then all we have to do is make sure that it gets on some form of media and the next thing you know, it's not an opinion. It is now a fact in which the world will live by and that is the new norm. How did we get to this place? We're here, and what are we going to do about it? If you actually see that something is wrong and it doesn't line up with this, and this, by the way, is your owner's manual, if it doesn't line up, then shouldn't you do something about it? Or at least express yourself? Well, you know, I don't want to upset my family. You know, Uncle George, you know how he is. He's such a liberal and all. And, you know, and then there's so-and-so, and he's such a conservative and all. And there's, he's this and he's that, or she's this or she's that. No, guys, it is who you are, not who they are, that count. That's what makes the difference. We started to trust man again instead of God. And in the midst of all of that, the next thing you do is we simply took God's word and we put it on the shelf and we started listening to celebrities and politicians and anybody else who had, a, had an opinion. Truth, truth. And the Bible remains up there gathering dust. But we pull it down every time we go to church on Sunday. Yeah. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6 to 7, Paul is writing the church in Galatia and he, he's telling them, you know what? I'm really surprised at how quickly you changed. He says, I am shocked that you are turning away so soon from God. You, who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. If you can twist the truth concerning Christ, you can twist the truth on just about anything. A national attitude rose up, one that we've always had, but again, the changes that you're seeing being made... <clears throat> deal with everything from our morality, our, uh, our ethics, racial issues, every, everything that is rising up. There are things that need to be changed. Please, let me, let me make this clear. I am not suggesting even that much that there isn't things that are desperately in need of change in our country and in this world. Yes. Oh, yeah. There are a lot of things that are absolutely wrong that need to be changed to made right. But we need to be cautious at the changes that are being made that we know right off the bat. We think, whoa, wait a minute, that's a little on the strange side. I don't know if that's really true. Next thing you know, it's true, and if you don't agree with it, you're the bad guy. Yeah. Yeah. 
We have to get back to a country that is united. And I'm not suggesting that we have to start believing what everybody else believes except for in Christ Jesus alone. With that many plotting, I, I, I'm going to run for office. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I don't, I don't know why anybody does. Psalms 27.9. Listen to what the psalmist says. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. He's saying simply, Lord, you were there before. How come I can't see you now? My, uh, my, uh, my, uh, I went to church and I heard about a testimony and my life is just like that. How come I don't see you like he saw you or they saw you? And then he says, and why are you angry at me? What did I do? Do you realize when we start putting blame and having to find somebody to fix things, it always comes back on us and, we start, and guilt starts to arise. And I want you to know God didn't bring guilt. He did bring conviction, but he didn't bring guilt to us. And the Psalms goes on and Psalms 10.1, he says, Why, Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? You know, we just can't see God sometimes in the insanity of, of sociopaths that are in planes wanting to destroy someone. It's hard in all that ash when your pain is the only thing you feel and the only thing you see is destruction. It's hard. But our spiritual vision can do it if we choose to Trust God. Have you ever heard of uh, Janelle Guzman McLean? McMillan, I'm sorry. Anybody heard of her? She worked for the Port Authority on the 64th floor of the North Tower. She got to work that morning. She got herself a cup of coffee, sat down at her desk, <coughs> and at 8 45 or 46, she felt a jar, and she thought it was an earthquake. And then she looked out the window and saw all these papers falling down. Because an American Airlines Boeing 767 flew right into the building 30 floors above her. The emergency broadcast system that they had on the wall came through, and a man's voice said, everyone, please remain where you are in your offices, and help will be coming up to help you and to greet you and to assist you. So just remain where you are. So they did. She sat, sipped coffee, and wondered where all that paper was coming from. 17 minutes later, a United Airlines Boeing 767 flew into the South Tower. And she and her fellow employees started their descent down the stairwell. One hour and 25 minutes later, she had made it to the 13th floor. And they heard a rumbling. And she said it got louder and louder and louder. And then everything went black. Janelle found herself in a very small air pocket, but she couldn't see anything because it was absolute blackness, darkness, couldn't see a thing and absolute silence. Her right leg had been crushed. Her face badly burned. Her head had been wedged between two pillars. Her hair had been caught underneath a beam. Her hands were extended in various ways 
but couldn't move. She could barely move her fingers. She was there for, she felt, hours and hours and hours. She didn't know. But she began to pray and cry out to God. She asked for him to save her. She pleaded with him. She begged him. She heard nothing. Absolutely nothing. She was about to give up when she felt in her heart that she needed to continue to seek out God and to trust him. So she called one more time, Lord, I trust you, and I need you. And then she came to the realization that she wasn't going to live through this. She started praying for her children and her family. And when she finished, she took a deep breath and closed her eyes and prepared to die. And someone took her hand. She felt someone take her hand. She couldn't see. She couldn't move. She couldn't hear. But then all of a sudden, a voice of a man came, we're, we're going to get you out. Don't move. You're okay. We're going to get you out. The man continued to speak to her, pray with her, talk to her, encourage her. She asked him his name, and he said, my name is Paul. She said, Paul, when, were they, when are you going to get me out of here? And he kept saying, soon, just hold on. Don't give up. He stayed with her and talked with her, and she was under that ground for 27 hours. On the 27th hour, Paul let go of her hand, and nothing happened. And she started to panic. But then she heard a dog bark, and then she heard men shout, but they were so far away. They weren't far away. They were right above her. But she was so deep that they've testified that there was no human reason, no rationale for her to have survived because she was so deep the dog shouldn't have never even found her. But after two to three hours of digging, they got her out. When she came out of the hospital and was released, her and her husband went, to find Paul. And they went to all the various agencies and substations around that sent officers and fire people, fire service people to the, to the scene right after the building had collapsed. She was told that no one had reached the point where she was at for at least 24 hours. She was told that no one was allowed after that to even go anywhere near there or even before that because they didn't know what was going to happen. And here's the strange part. Out of all those agencies, and with such a common name as Paul, none of them had a Paul. She wrote a book called My Angel Paul. We don't know who Paul was or is. And when she expressed the fact that he was speaking to her and talking with her, they told her that wasn't possible because he would have had to have been down underneath the debris with her. He was. Are you with me? Psalms 10, 14 says, But you, God, see the trouble of the afflicted. You consider their grief and take it in hand. The victims commit themselves to you. I want to ask you, no, I just want to share this. I believe that Janelle's experience and the experience of being rescued 
was one that we ought to all take personally in our own lives. Because there may be someone here, maybe you, that feel that maybe something you had done or some place you had been or some concept that you believe or whatever, maybe something in your past, I don't know, that you are so buried, so deep, that even God himself probably couldn't find you. That Holy Spirit is just like that dog. That Holy Spirit is out after you. And he will find you no matter how deep things have been or how deep things are going. He will save you. He will rescue you. It may not be the way you want it to be rescued. And it may not be the way you want it to resolve. But it will be exactly the way he wants if you trust him. I want to pray for you. And I'm going to, in, a, in a moment, when we close, we're going to have our prayer team up here. And I'm going to ask you simply, come up. You don't have to share what your issues of heart are. You can bring to them and just have an agreement with someone else and say, I need a little prayer in this, or I know, know somebody who does. Help me to pray for them. But right now, I'm asking you, if you have not put your trust in God, but you have faith because you believe in God, then it's time to get a little deeper in the debris. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come before you humbly, and I ask you, Lord, that you would put your hand upon the people that sit before me. Whatever it is they face, or whatever it is they're going to face, I ask you, Lord, that you, you just reach into their lives and let them know that you will get as deep as they are, wherever they are, to bring them out. Take them by the hand, Lord, and put your hand on their heart. And if you, you alone and you only are who we can turn to. If you are sitting here this morning and you've never given your life to Christ, or you're here and you have, but sometimes you're not sure, you always trust. Trust me. Trust me, you're not alone. I'm going to ask if you just raise your hand and let me see the faces and the hands of those. Yes, yes, I can see them. Pretty amazing how heavy that debris is. It keeps that hand kind of low, doesn't it? Doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. Heavenly Father, Wrap your arms around each one in this room. Lift them up and out of the debris of confusion or pain or fear that they might have in their life and set them free. Lord, we have come to serve you and you alone. And in spite, as that song says, whatever, wherever I am, no matter how deep my pain is, I will trust you. Say that with me. Lord, I will trust you. We put our entire lives in your hands, Father, and we thank you for all that you do, all you will continue to do. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, amen. God is good. God is good. How many know God is good? Stand with me and let's continue in our worship. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life. 
and we would love to help you continue that journey. To find out what your next steps are in your relationship with Jesus, all you have to do is go to thefathershouse.com forward slash next. Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and make disciples.